Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. I'm your host, Don Antonucci, Senior Vice President of Growth at Blue Shield of California. My guest today is Peter Lee. Peter is Executive Director of Covered California, the state's health insurance marketplace, where Californians can find affordable, high-quality insurance from top insurance companies. Peter has been Executive Director of Covered California since the Health Benefit Exchange was established by the state to support the expansion of coverage enabled by the Affordable Care Act of 2010. In this episode, we'll get Peter's insights on the state's individual market and efforts underway to improve the affordability and accessibility of quality healthcare for Californians. Thanks for joining me, Peter. Great to be with you, Don. To start out, Peter, um, I really appreciate you being here. I definitely want to get into talking about the individual marketplace in California and, and you know, get into how, how you see things going for open enrollment. But before we get into that topic, just give me a little bit more background in terms of uh, how you found yourself in the role that you're in today. How did you get into the, into the healthcare field? Um, someone I, I believe that started out um, in the legal profession as, as a uh, lawyer in LA is what I read. You know, what, what led you to healthcare? Uh, well, actually, uh, healthcare led me to law versus vice versa. Instead of vice versa, I was in uh, living in Washington, D.C. in the mid-80s when the AIDS uh, pandemic was hitting, and I started working on that first as a volunteer and then helping establish and support community-based aid service organizations. And it was actually from there uh, and wanting to continue to work in improving healthcare through policy that I went to law school. Uh, and uh, my path to Covered California has been as a consumer advocate running the Center for Healthcare Rights in L.A., uh, a 10-year stint at the Pacific Business Group on Health, helping very large employers uh, get the best possible care for their dollars for their employees. And then a couple of years in the Obama administration, where I actually helped do the early implementation of the ACA, including uh, things such as helping stand up the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation and working on national quality issues. But after that, I was thrilled to have a HUD hunter knock on my door and say, Rover, Red Rover, you want to come back home to California and help set up uh, what has become Cover California? And it was a, a one of my better career choices. Uh, so it's been a, a very good uh, engagement here with Cover California for the last almost 10 years. That's an incredible background. I mean, you know, starting in the executive director role of Cover California, you just came in with tremendous insight from, you know, the national perspective, um, from the employer perspective with those roles, uh, you know, from your from your perspective, um, did that set you up really well off the bat um, with with uh, your role in Covered California, or was there some real, you know, new learnings in those first you know couple of years, especially standing up the uh, with the Affordable Care Act, the, the marketplace uh, was the learning curve pretty high when you started in the executive director role. Well, yeah, the learning curve was high. There's a lot of things happening, but I think you're right that in some ways my background uh, worked well for what Covered California is. It started with my background as a consumer advocate. Everything we've done has been centered around what works for consumers. Uh, it's anchored in uh, 10 years at Pacific Business Group on Health, which is really about market forces. And we at Covered California have been very focused on creating a market by and for consumers. Um, 
my background working in the Obama administration, definitely helpful. The market works at Cover California because we have federal subsidies that help make healthcare affordable for people in the individual market, which is what the rest of Americans get through their employer-sponsored care, which is also supported by federal dollars or Medicaid or Medicare. So uh, I think those three legs of my background have been central to what we've become, but still a, a lot of learning curves in particular while I'd worked at CMS and HHS in Washington, which is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which oversees Medicare and Medicaid, and the Health and Human Services Agency, which is the broader umbrella, um, very big bureaucracy in Washington. I hadn't worked a long time in the public sector. And what we've tried to do at Cover California is be a very transparent, publicly accountable public entity but seeking to be nimble and fast like you often don't necessarily see in the public sector. And I think in many ways we've succeeded at doing that. Given all of your experience, uh, you know, I, I've been in health care and health plans most of the time, but different aspects of it for about 25 years. And you've got incredible experience. As you look out, um, even say over the next three to five years, Peter, what are the things that you think um, either that get you pretty excited and, you know, that take healthcare to that next level. I know you're focused on, you know, more, covering more of the uninsured, really transforming healthcare, focus on quality. What are those things that you really um, hope to see or are driving towards over the next three to five years? Couple things. I mean, one, uh, it, just to remind you, and I know you know this well, Don, but the Affordable Care Act, um, biggest coverage change since the launch of Medicare and Medicaid in the early 60s. And it made phenomenal improvements. It also totally overhauled the insurance business. Insurers, with all due respect to Shield and other insurers, in the old days, insurers would do well by avoiding sick people and not providing care. Uh, and that's changed now. Now, because of the rules the, of uh, the Affordable Care Act, insurers need to take everybody. Uh, and have standards of what they need to provide that are standardized. So there's been huge changes that we're building on. I, I'd say there's three big opportunities and challenges when I look down the road over the next, you know, I'd say three to 10 years because change is slow in healthcare. First is coverage. Um, we, in California, we now have about 7% of our population uninsured. Uh, that's down from 17. We've decreased the rate of uninsured more than any state in the nation. Hallelujah. But that 7 million, I mean, excuse me, that uh, 7%, which is about 2.5 million people, well, uh, that's bad. We think everyone should have insurance coverage. 60% uh, of them are undocumented. So one of the policy changes we need to look at as a state and nation is how to bring undocumented people under, into the insurance tent. And we've seen in the COVID pandemic that the idea that you can have a population which is walled off from one another doesn't work. Uh, so getting everyone covered is a, is a continued challenge. The, the other two things, you're right, Don, we at Cover California think a lot about um, healthcare quality. And the sad thing is, if you look at what we're doing in California, the nation, uh, the likelihood of you getting the right care at the right time in the right setting is still what I call coin toss care. And that's bad. Uh, and it's even worse for communities of color. So the issues that the COVID pandemic has put a spotlight on, we've thought about since year one, 
issues of health disparities, inequities, we need to focus far more on improving quality. Third element that I think is should be before us and isn't talked about enough is um, it's not enough to have coverage if it's not meaningful coverage. Cover California, as you and many of your listeners know, um, if you're signing up through Cover California, 90% get financial help. That financial help is tiered based on your income. You make less money, you get more financial help. You make less money, your co-pays are less because you can't afford as much out of pocket. Makes total sense. That is not the reality facing many people with employer-based coverage. And I think one of the next horizons is for the, you know, between 30 and 40% of Americans that have skimpy employer-based coverage. Most of them are low-income Americans. Many of them are people of color. The issues of equity don't stop because you get a job if it's a low-paid job and you've got crappy coverage. So that's the, those what I think looking down the track in the next three to eight years, I'd hope those are the three areas that we will make uh, substantial progress in. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, so coverage, quality, meaningful coverage, that makes a lot of sense. On that note, on the employer side of things, especially given your background at Pacific Business Group on health, um, what what do you think has to happen there? Is it a combination of policy changes or is it we need some leading employers to you know, really start to create that um, standard in the marketplace? What, what's your perspective on where that needs to go? Yeah, well, uh, it's a combination. One, there are some employers today who are really thoughtful employers for the benefit of their employees. And I'll, I'll call out, uh, I'm clear I'm not affiliated with them, University of California. Mm-hmm. Uh, they income adjust their benefit designs, um, which means you know, a groundskeeper working at UC Berkeley doesn't pay the same for her premium as does a faculty member making 300 grand. Now you, you might say, well, duh, that's not what 90% of employers do. Um, so yes, let's put a spotlight on good policies. I, I don't think many employers though will follow spotlights. So I think there is absolutely a role for us uh, in particular federal policy in this area um, to nudge, push, and then require true robust enough meaningful coverage that's income adjusted over time. Now, this isn't on the near-term policy agenda of the Biden administration. I don't think they've got a lot of other uh, near-term issues, obviously COVID and stimulus, et cetera. But this is the right thing we should be talking about as a nation because it's not just about universality of coverage. It's coverage of what? And again, I think we're going to have a mixed coverage world in California and the nation for quite a while. If we don't get employers to step up and do a better job, we're going to be leaving some big gaps for a lot of people. You know, on the quality aspect, I wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit with you. So when I started my career, I started, actually started on the research side of things, and I started at a, a plan called Hip Health Plan of New York in New York City. Sure. And uh, I focused on, you know, National Committee of Quality Insurance and, and quality measures back then. In fact, I still remember, I think it was the first CD-ROM that came out on <laughs> at the time on a it was called Quality Compass, and I was doing some work for them. Um, I know you're familiar with all those measures. From your perspective, here we are. That was back in 1995, I think, or so. Um, you know, w- what do we need to do now? We've got lots of different quality measures. Um, where, where do you see that on the spectrum of actually getting to a place where it's meaningful in terms of how it's measured, what we're measuring, and moving the needle f- from your perspective? 
Yeah. Well, this is where I often look back at what I've done, and I think I've both been – I've attempted to be part of the solution consistently, but maybe I've been part of the problem. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was on the board of NCQA for 10 years. I was, uh, you know, helped stand up the National Quality Forum. Uh, I am a big believer in measuring quality and holding uh, plans and providers accountable. Uh, and we measure too much right now, and we don't do it in a way that uh, doesn't get in the way of frontline doctors, nurses, hospitals providing care. So uh, a couple of things I think we need to do is, um, parsimony is important. We need to be focusing on fewer measures uh, that really matter. Every measure should be tied to equity and disparities. Uh, so you, do, you don't, you don't want to peel off and say, oh, health equity is a side issue on the right-hand side. Rather, if we're looking at diabetes A1C, let's make sure we're analyzing that uh, by race, ethnicity, as well as across the board. Um, so fewer measures. Second, the measures we um, collect need to be baked into the care process naturally, not overladen and overburdening. We need to be thinking as much about the burden and distraction on doctors as we do about the measures being collected. And third, uh, they need to matter financially uh, at every level. Uh, if getting the right care at the right time matters as it should, we as a delivery system, as purchasers, as plans need to put money behind it. Um, that's at every level. You know, we should uh, have health plans rewarded for doing a better job by getting more people enrolled. We should have uh, medical groups, physicians paid more or being paid since they're responsible for the care of a population such that they win when people stay healthy. So one, Don, one of the things that I'll remind you about is that, and you obviously don't need this reminder, but your listeners might, is, uh, you know, generally speaking, um, most health plans don't have someone enrolled with them for their entire life. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what it is for Blue Shield of California. My guess is the average tenure, three years, four years. Um, Kaiser, it's longer. Uh, Cover California, we've got huge turnover because that's how the individual market works, which means 40% of our members leave every year. The good news is they leave for the good reasons. They get a job that has new employer coverage. They um, age into Medicare. Um, so if we weren't a public entity, we would say, we don't care about things that don't pay off in two and a half years, because that's our average tenure. And sadly, that's what I think historically many health plans have thought. They won't invest in quality that is long-term payoff. We need to shift that dynamic. So we should uh, sort of a fourth element from this measures and baked in is actually be thinking and requiring in particular health plans, purchasers to think in a longitudinal way that is over the lifespan of people, not over the lifespan in which they're covered by that particular entity. Because look, when we at Cover California have a new enrollee that's a diabetic, I want them to be coming to us having gotten good care for the last 36 years. Not that I'm starting at zero. So without having cross purchaser, cross plan expectations, uh, we're gonna be in deep doo-doo. You're right, Peter. And you know, the, the average tenure, you know, regardless of who the health insurance or health plan is, depends on the, the market segment. To your point, the Absolutely. market 
um, is different than the employer market, which is different than the large jumbo employer market. And, um, and it also depends on things like the economy and, and all of that. So you're, you're right on there. And I would say, you know, one of, you know I've, I've worked at a variety of health plans. And uh, one of the things that I love about where I am at Blue Shield is our true North Star is healthcare worthy of our family and friends and sustainably affordable. And to do that right, you've got to think broader than just your own plan. So things like, and, and I know, would love your perspective on this too. You know, there's a big push that you know we would love to see in creating that that personal longitudinal patient record, right? That pulls in lab data, that pulls in provider data, that pulls in you know health plan data, regardless of who the entity is, because then it travels from health plan to health plan. It, you know, and there's a complete picture for the provider and for the for the actual member. How do you think about you know efforts like that and their importance? I think really important. I think you know, look at the Obama administration. The many people remember the early requirements around electronic medical records, which were funded as part of an economic stimulus package. People don't remember that. That was part of the initial funding to get uh, electronic medical records in wide use. Was um, funded initially by stimulus investments in response to the recession that Obama adopted or came into, um, and it happened in many ways too fast and not quite well enough. But the idea of having records that follow and live with a patient that are real-time, universally accessible um, uh, are both critical for helping uh, a patient get care at the right time, but also for us to analyze what's working and what's not working. So this is some of the, but it, it needs to be sort of not an add-on. It needs to be integral to data being in a cloud that isn't more work for either providers or delivery systems. The other thing I'm curious to get your opinion on is, again, for many years now, we've been talking about the move from fee-for-service, which is a broken model of care. I know you'd agree with that. And moving to value-based care, and there's lots of different models there. From your perspective, are we on a good trajectory, a good path? Does it need to accelerate? I know COVID, for example, um, and the pandemic has increased things like virtual care and, and maybe has maybe um, improved you know, people going to some of these models. But from your perspective, how, how would you uh, how would you talk about the need to move from fee-for-service to value-based care? Sadly, I would give us a probably a C minus on how we're doing so far, which is um, it, you know everyone understands that pure fee-for-service care is mostly problematic. Uh, it 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 rewards doing more, not doing the right thing. It doesn't reward. Uh, prevention and keeping people well. It doesn't reward more effective ways to deliver care. And in some ways, we saw that in COVID where, yeah, we saw a mammoth ramp up in virtual care, but it required 18 tweaks to payment to say, thou must now pay for a telehealth visit as if it were an in-person visit. Now, systems that are capitated didn't need that. And they already had telehealth up and running because they already saw it made sense. So you saw some systems like Kaiser and others that had already an infrastructure invested in and developed because they saw if they're getting a uh, payment for a population, boy, visits are not a, uh, a profit center. It's a, it's a cost center. So encouraging phone visits, telehealth, uh, email exchanges with the clinician make the world of sense if you aren't paid by widget. So I think that the, the challenge we have is 
One, it's not just a matter of moving to quote unquote value based payment. There's a lot of discussion about uh, layering on to fee for service rewards for doing something better. But it's still on a fee-for-service chassis, which is really dangerous. I think what we want to get more and more to is, is population-based payment, where you as a delivery system, uh, and I know that um, in the Trio product, which is a Blue Shield product, is, is an HMO product that is anchored in uh, relationships with integrated ACO providers that are globally responsible for care. I think that's a, absolutely where we need to be going. We need to have not just value payments of a, you know, again, I said it before, but a little, if you put a little bit of icing on top of sludge pie, it's still sludge pie. So what we need to be doing is changing the underlying fundamental payment dynamics, which is moving more and more towards uh, population-based care where a integrated system is responsible soup to nuts. And then they get rewarded for doing a better job. They get rewarded for putting innovative things in instead of having to have an overlay of CMS Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services saying, okay, we're going to tweak our Medicare fee-for-service reimbursements to now up payment for telehealth. You know, that's a dangerous command and control economy thing versus having, let's let folks figure out on the ground what works best and let's look at the results. You know, one of the things that made me think of as you were talking about that is also, you know, back to your point on providers. I mean, you know, in healthcare lingo, we talk a lot about the triple aim, cost, quality, experience, and then there's the quadruple aim, um, which is then provider experience. And uh, again, I know that's something that that we're focused on and concerned about because there's a lot of um, physician burnout. Uh, we also know that you know, because of how the system is set up today, there's a lot of administrative, you know, work that does not allow physicians to be top of their license. And then when I think about things like mental health, behavioral health, where before the pandemic, it was an issue and you, we were hearing more about it from, you know, even large employers. And then with the pandemic, that's accelerated the need there. And so there's, yes, there's some virtual options and things like that, but there's a, a, sh a shortage there. So on the topic of just, providers and physicians, you know, from your perspective, uh, are, is, is it concerning where things are right now? Uh, or do you see, you know, some, some good models out there or some momentum happening in areas where we can lean into? As with most things in the world, it's a little bit of both. Um, the, and, and often the good and bad are two sides of the same coin. Um, you know, I worry that uh, many s physicians in small practices are very unhappy, and many of them are being, uh, if you want to use the pejorative, being swallowed up by big delivery systems. The, that's the negative. The positive is I'm not sure that you can, as a small practice, really deliver comprehensive care without being part of a broader system. The question to me is who's in the driver's seat of those systems? From everything I've seen on the data side, boy, do I want systems that are physician-led and mission-driven uh, and not ones that are centered around uh, hardware and buildings, which is I worry about delivery systems that are anchored in hospitals. Um, hospitals should be seen as things to avoid and cost centers, not as the things that are to be fed and a feeding system into them. And so some of the issues we need to look at is how to create uh, a uh, – world in which clinicians can do what they want to do. 
spend their time not on billing, not on checking a box to fill out a HEDIS measure, which again, I take some responsibility for. I'm sorry to all of you physicians out there, uh, but it's, uh, it's rather to spend their time with their patients, whether that's virtually or in person or by email. Uh, and I think that that's part of what we should be driving towards. So turning to the individual marketplace, and I know there's a special enrollment period in place, you know, can you give us, uh, you know, how are you feeling about where we've kicked off 2021? Well, a couple of things. So um, look, COVID was and is a historic, um, uh, far more than a blip that's hit all of us and needed us all to respond. Now, a year ago, we, uh, in March, had a special enrollment period in the individual market, opened the doors wide open. Um, we actually had the biggest enrollment ever during a special enrollment period because of that. We're just closing out our open enrollment period, and I'm sure we will end it with more people than we've ever had in the individual market. Um, and we are now in a special enrollment period because we're still in the midst of a pandemic. But bigger than that, I think we need to be looking at what's coming down the track, which is um, uh, what's happening in Washington right now. Uh, as we are having this conversation, there's two things happening in Washington. One is an impeachment trial, uh, which is a lot of uh, drama. But the other is discussion of a $1.9 trillion stimulus package. In that stimulus package is a proposal to dramatically increase subsidies in the individual market uh, to make healthcare far more affordable uh, for people already getting subsidies and to say there will no longer be a cliff at 400% of poverty Everyone in America should be protected from spending more than eight and a half percent of their income on on healthcare premiums. Those are, uh, when I think look ahead in the next few months, that is way bigger than our special enrollment period we're in right now. The prospect that coming this May or June in California, uh, millions of Californians could have huge increases in their subsidies. Uh, that's something that I, I'm spending a lot more time I'm thinking about than you know, special enrollment periods. That's that's uh, normal business for us. Um, and we're getting more people in the door every day. But really using the infrastructure, the Affordable Care Act, to help people who are really hurting because of the recession, um, it's the right policy. And I'm thrilled that we have an infrastructure that can deliver on it. Excellent. Hey, by the way, too, um, I do wear my masks proudly. You know, I know Covered California was, uh, you got those great masks where it's get get covered uh, 2021. And so uh, I definitely see people kind of taking a look at what's, what's that guy got on his mask. Um, so I think that's really cool that you've been part of, part of that effort um, there as well. Uh, so what I'd love to do now before I kind of hit some fun rapid fire questions here at the end is just kind of ask you, Peter, is there anything else that you would like to highlight or share with our listeners? I would highlight a couple of things. I have to take the opportunity to note about COVID is um, COVID is historic in its impact and scope. Um, and what it's done, though, is not really highlight uh new ahas, but put spotlights on things that have been with us for a long time. And I'll identify two or three of them. Num number one is issues of, of disparities, inequities in, in health and in healthcare access. The fact that we are seeing a uh, far greater rate of infections amongst African-Americans, Latinos, and a higher mortality is partly, quote unquote, social determinants of these are people that are frontline workers, but they're also often more apt to be uninsured, less access to care. This is not new. 
issues of health disparities have been with us uh, forever. Uh, and, and we need to focus on them better, number one. Number two, some of the issues that relate to, as we were talking about a moment ago, about um, having non-integrated systems and incentives that are backwards meant part, much of the delivery system wasn't ready to switch to virtual. Elements that were is because they were receiving payments that enabled that. It means we need to be thinking about those. Third, we need to be thinking much more broadly about the relationship of public health and social determinants to health and healthcare, um, all brought home by COVID. So I think that we need to take a breath to start look at the lessons that COVID should teach us, um, not as, oh my God, now we can move on, COVID's gone, but rather, are we looking at public health more robustly? Are we looking at payment issues? Are we looking at quality and disparities? Really important points. Thanks for sharing that. So a little bit of fun now. If you could give some quick one-word answers, Peter, to uh, oh, some rapid-fire I've got to warn you. My friends will tell you I can never do a one-word on anything, but I'll, I'll try to keep it to less than a paragraph on any question, but go ahead. <laughs> These are fun ones. So uh, one thing you do to stay healthy. Swim. But I will note that I was traumatized for, for six months of COVID because my YMCA – was not an open pool and it closed. I have found a new outdoor pool. You reserve your lane, COVID safe, I'm back in the water. <laughs> Excellent. Most used app on your phone? Huh. Pandora. Uh, listening uh, not to health policy podcasts, sorry, maybe I should do that more, but more music uh, and other things to get myself out of my head uh, and out of work. When you're not working, what can we find you doing? Uh, depends on time of day, but walking the dog. Out with Gilly, my dog, uh, getting out in nature. And your favorite thing about living in California? Uh, two words, ocean and mountains. The fact that I live in Sacramento, I'm an hour and a half to Tahoe, an hour back to the Bay Area, and I think that's one of the things I treasure about the state we're in is a really rich nature we have around us. Excellent. Thanks so much. So Peter Lee, um, really uh, appreciate this conversation. And for the listeners out there, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen. We hoped you walked away with some insights. I know I walked away with a few, including just the importance of coverage uh, for people, the importance of quality, and um, you know, really making sure that there's meaningful coverage even in uh, parts of the market uh, like the employer marketplace uh, where that doesn't always exist and, and so much more. And I just um, so glad that we have somebody like Peter at the helm of Covered California. For more information about Covered California, visit www.coveredca.com and join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or Spotify, or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue. Thank you, Peter. Great to be with you, Don. Thank you so much.